In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammy and Sandy. James Scruggs is our guest this week on Money Tales. As a young adult, James thought stocks were the key to accumulating wealth and making a lot of money. He invested his first bonus in telecom stocks at just the wrong time and sadly lost everything. This experience shattered James as he always wanted to be different from his parents, who, as James tells us, aren't savers. Seeking advice, he turned to a friend who recommended the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Reading this book, changed James' life and helped shape him into who he is today. Let me tell you more about James. He's the CEO and president of Kingdom Development Partners and JS & Sons Construction Company. James has over two decades of experience in real estate development, construction, and brokerage. He has developed, built, owned, and operated a portfolio of income-producing single-family, multifamily, and assisted living communities. He is currently executing his vision of economic development and self-sufficiency for families in the greater Charlotte area. Here are three key money topics James hits on in this conversation. First, what it was like early in his career to work 60 plus hours a week and purchase investment properties of homes and multi-unit apartment buildings during his limited spare time. Second, what it's been like more recently to create generational wealth in his family and how James has gone about doing it. And third, how James is creating mixed income communities in his area to help others afford to buy homes and create their own wealth. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now on to our conversation with James Scruggs. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Sandy, as you know, my family and I go to Ireland each summer to see our in-laws, except for when there's a global pandemic. So we were there this summer. And just recently, the girls were looking through these pouches they got from my mother-in-law to hold some of their Irish money, as they call it. Ooh, they think about Irish money differently than American money? Yes, definitely. And it is the pound sterling, but I like that they call it Irish money. And how it started that they accumulated some of this money was while we were there, Morgan lost a tooth. And she actually had been holding onto that tooth, like not eating anything that was going to knock it out before we left because she wanted Irish money from the tooth fairy or hoping to get it. I didn't think about the tooth fairy paying in different denominations. That was so important. (laughs) And we had to keep our youngest from yanking out her tooth so that she could get some. And the coins are so interesting. So this was a fun opportunity for us as a family, especially in this world of 
digital currency and credit cards where you don't touch money as much. But for us to talk about money and really the reasons and the shapes and the sizes. Ah. Yeah, that was really fun. And one of the most interesting shapes is what they call the 20P. And it's got seven sides. Oh my gosh. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Is there a reason for that? Do you know? I don't know the full reasoning, but the comment was all the different coins, the diameter, no matter where you measure it, is exactly the same, but not circular. The comment was it helps in vending machines, but I think when it was invented, there weren't vending machines. That's so interesting. Well, I love this topic and I'm glad you brought it up, Cami. It reminds me of when I was a girl and I would collect money from all over the world and I still have a collection, some from countries that no longer exist anymore. Wow, Sandy, that's amazing. I have some pesos, like a thousand peso bill. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So so it's kind of fun because I think the future is to get rid of perhaps all the paper and coins. So we'll see what happens. But I love that they're thinking about money from different countries and have such excitement around it. What a nice way to bleed into other areas of money conversations, Cammie. That's so true, Sandy. Let's welcome our guest today, James Scruggs. It's fantastic to have you here on the Money Tales podcast. I am happy and honored to be here today. Would you please introduce yourself and provide a couple pivotal moments that have taken place in your life that really impacted who you are today? Mm, so James Scruggs, um, originally from Long Island, New York. I uh, currently live in Charlotte, North Carolina. That is home now. So this has been 23 years in the Carolinas in Charlotte. And I think one of my most memorable moments is when I was at UVA. I just finished my first semester, came back home from after Christmas break. And my mother called me up and she said, hey, I have some bad news. And I said, what's going on, mom? And she's like, well, I just got this bill in the mail for $20,000 and we can't afford it. And I don't think you're going to be able to go back to UVA next year. And I cried like a baby. Yeah, you're going to make me cry. I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the school. I fell in love with everything about UVA. And I didn't want to leave. So make a long story short, I ended up having to take a year off. And I worked. And y'all probably too young to know about this place, but it was called Circuit City. It's no longer in business anymore. I remember (laughs) Circuit City. You're so nice to say it that way. So I worked at Circuit City for a year. I uh, lived with three of my buddies who continued on their second year at UVA. And I worked and we lived together off campus. And after taking that year off at UVA, I went from paying $20,000 a year as an out-of-state resident to in-state resident paying $4,000 a year. And that moment changed my life and kind of helped shape me to who I am today when you're dealing with obstacles and money. Oh, wow, James. Absolutely. We're both going to want to talk a lot more about that. But let's go back in time and tell us, when you were growing up, how was money handled in your home? It really wasn't. I'm a kid who didn't come from money, right? So my parents didn't make a lot of money. And my fondest memory of money growing up was at church. And my mom, every Sunday, would give me one or two dollars to put into the offering table or to pay tithes. My parents wasn't savers. I'm the totally opposite of my parents. So I didn't grow up knowing anything about money other than my mom would give me one or $2 to put into the offering or the tithing envelope at church. That was my relationship with money growing up. And tell me about holding that money now that I was sharing that my kids really loved holding that money. Was there anything there for you? 
Well, as a kid, I didn't really get it. You know, why my mom was giving me money, you know, and you would hear people go up and talk about why you should tithe and why you should give back to the church. So I didn't really get it, right? But now I'm being older, being much wiser, um, someone who is a big believer in owning assets and knowing what that can do to change your life from what my parents had to what I have today. I didn't get it as a kid, but I totally get it now. James, tell us about that journey and how you changed perspective around money. When did it become important to you? It became important to me when I had to take that year off at UVA. And I always said that when I am blessed and fortunate to have kids, I do not want them to be in the same situation that I was in. So I said, I need to do it differently than my parents have never done it. So to give you a second story about a time with money was when I got my job. So I graduated from UVA in 2000, got my first job at Bank of America, working on a trading floor. And I got my first bonus, which was $30,000. And for me, that was a lot of money. And I never forget, I put that bonus into the stock market. I was buying telecom stocks back then. And unbeknownst to me, I lost everything. And that really shattered me. Because remember the story about my parents. They never saved a dime in their life, even to this day, right? So I always wanted to be different than my parents. So when that happened, I remember just saying like, oh, Lord, what do I do now? I thought stocks was the key to accumulating wealth, making a lot of money. And I remember going to one of my fraternity brothers and I said, hey, DJ, I said, what else can I do other than investing in stocks? Like, I want to do something that is just more tangible, something that I can kind of hold on to and control a little bit more. And he said, hey, you ever thought about real estate? I said, no. He said, read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I read that book and it changed my life. And that book helped shape me up to who I am today as well. I'm curious, you're in school freshman year and you're having just this amazing experience. You step out to solve your financial needs. When you went back to school, Tell us how that felt. I mean, now you're doing it all for yourself. You figured out the in-state tuition. I just love to know how you felt about going back to school on your own dime. It felt amazing. Being able to go back to school, one, felt amazing. Working at Circuit City and I was in the Ace Department selling Walkman CDs and telephones and I made $50,000 as an 18-year-old, right? And that's probably wow. more than my combined. So I felt blessed. I felt inspired, right? And I felt like, okay, obstacles will come my way, but you just got to run through them. And it just kind of made me who I am today. So it felt great. If you ask me to sum it up in one word, I would say great. I felt great. James, you finished school. You work for B of A. You lose all that money right around mm -hmm. the time, I guess, of the dot-com crash, right? That was happening. Right. That's yeah. exactly what it was. That's a devastating blow early on in <laughs> anyone's life, in anyone's financial life. You read this book, you become interested in real estate. What do you do next? So I'm working at B of A, 60 hours a week, bond trader on a trading floor. And after reading that book and everything I tell you going forward, I'm not bragging or boasting. I give God the glory, but I'm working full time. I'm single. And in my spare time, I start looking for real estate. So my first year, I bought 20 single family homes. And then my next year, I bought 10 more single family homes. So I did all this while I was working a full-time job, 60, 70 hours a week. And I did that in 2002. I bought the 20 homes. 2003, I bought 10 more. 2005, I partnered with two buddies of mine on the trading floor and we buy a 35-unit apartment building. In 2007, me and that 
buddy and one of his buddies that he ended up going to Morehouse with ended up buying a 163 unit apartment building. So I was just kind of addicted to it. Like a lot of guys I work with on the trading floor like to go golfing on the weekends and I love going out looking for real estate. And that's what I did. What was it about real estate? What did you learn in that book that set you on such a different trajectory than the one you were on? So I never had the rich dad, but I had the poor dad, right? And still have the poor dad, right? And just seeing how the poor dad's mindset was versus the rich dad. And I wanted to be different. The rich dad in the book talks to you about accumulating assets and the importance of owning assets versus my dad, who they had the house that I grew up in, right? And that was their one and only asset. That's what that book showed me, what the rich dad principles versus the poor dad principles. And I wanted to execute the rich dad principles. And that's what I did. James, when you say you run through obstacles, I think you jump on a rocket ship. That's intense. (laughs) 20 single family homes in your first year. Yep. You had to get comfortable with debt. Were you always comfortable with debt? That's a great question about that because what I was always told and what I learned is that Debt is a good thing as long as you can manage it. So I've never been scared about debt, right? You just have to make sure that you have the cash flow to service the debt. So smart debt, not credit card debt, but debt that allows you to build appreciation and network. And that's the kind of debt that I like and I felt comfortable around with. So buying real estate allowed me to buy it with debt, but then I had someone paying me rent that was servicing my cash flow. So I felt real comfortable about it. You had that all worked out. You're doing it on your own. You had a huge portfolio. And then you decide to partner up with other people. Yes. Tell us about that because I'm guessing there's some money conversations there, James. Well, it was. I never forget his name was Chris. He came to me. He worked with me on trading floor. He said, so what's your ultimate goal? I said, I want to own 100 single family homes. At this time, I said, I wanted to own 100 single family homes. And one day I want to have them free and clear and just live off the cash flow of those 100 rental properties, right? And he said, hey, have you ever thought about starting a REIT? And I was like, a REIT? What's a REIT, right? And he's like, a real estate investment trust. So then I go back, being who I am, I do research on that. And I was like, mm, I never thought about it, but it sounds interesting. And he was like, hey, you know, we go out and try to buy apartments. He said, you can get to your goal a lot faster than buying single family homes. And that's kind of how the whole apartment thing came about, because he said, hey, let's put our monies together. Let's put our credit together. And he said, let's go out and try to buy apartment complex. So he and I went out. We both worked on the trading floor, like smart guy. He went to Morehouse undergrad and Harvard MBA and worked on the trading floor. And we both had over 700 credit scores and making a decent amount of money. And we try to go out and buy a $1.1 million apartment complex and we couldn't get the loan. So that was one of an experience where it was like, wow, trying to get a great asset, couldn't get a loan and kind of was devastated to a certain extent. But here we go again. This is another obstacle. But I'm, you know, getting used to obstacles at this point in my <laughs> life. Right? So one of the guys that I work on the floor with, because, you know, the trading floor is a very close environment, right? Nobody's in cubicles. We all sit next to each other. So he hears a conversation that me and Chris couldn't get this loan. And he lives in Walnut Creek right now, but he moved to Charlotte and he had a six-unit apartment building in San Francisco. So he knew the value of real estate. And that six-unit, I think near Knob Hill or something like that. And it was worth a lot of money. So make a long story short, he said, hey, if you guys are looking for another partner, he was like, I'm interested. And he's a lot older than me and Chris. His assets was on a whole other level. So we bring Fred in to the partnership and 
we get the loan and here we go. And we got the 35 units. So the beauty of a partnership allowed me to do more than I could do on my own. You benefited from the resources that your two partners were bringing. How'd you determine who was going to do what to help maintain this asset that you were buying together? We all work, right? So we got a property manager. So it really was just like, okay, so look, we all got full-time jobs, work at Bank of America. So the short version of it is that at the time, we hired a property manager to manage this asset for us, right? Because we all work 60 to 70 hours a week. And then at some point, Chris left the bank and then he started managing it himself. We work really well together. Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm sure you hear stories, all partnerships don't work well, but this one did, right? And we had a great relationship and the partnership worked really well. James, sounds like a lot of success. I'm sure not everything works out perfectly, but you're having success. So to you, what's the purpose of financial success? It's more about wealth generation for me and leaving a legacy. So I have mm-hmm. two young boys I love dearly. Jaden's 14, Malachi, Joshua's 10. And I'm trying to teach my boys, hey, I want you to become a producer and not a consumer. So I'm trying to teach my boys values that they can leave and hopefully lead to their kids and their great grandkids. And it's just a generational legacy, a generational wealth building. Because like I said, someone like myself who came from not having money, had to take a year off of school, I want it to be differently for my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids and my great great grandkids. So teaching them the importance of financial literacy is amazing, right? I don't want my kids just to be left money. I want them to learn how to make money. It's a difference. If I teach them how to make money, if another recession comes after that recession is gone and now we're back in a bullish market, they know how to make money again. I'm learning how to teach my kids money versus just saying, ooh, I want to leave them a lot of money, if that makes sense. It does. And I'm curious, James, how has your relationship or maybe even your conversations with your parents changed as you have taught yourself how to build assets and how to make decisions and work with money? It hasn't changed. I mean, me and my mom, that's like my rock, my ace, boom, coom. I mean, you guys probably can relate to this, but when you're a kid, you don't always get it. And as you get older, you realize the wisdom and the seeds that your parents instills in you. And my mom has always had a giving spirit. And I used to always see her give money to her brothers and sisters. And I'm thinking to myself, like, why are you get? We don't even have any money. Like, why are you giving them money, right? It's how I used to think as a kid. But now being older, being wiser, having that spiritual gift of being a giver, I totally get it because that's where I got it from. And I'm wired just like my mom. So our relationship has not changed. I mean, my parents are the same. They still don't save, but... I'm at a point where I'm blessed and fortunate and I take care of my parents, right? So they live three minutes away from us in our old house and I make sure that I take care of my mom and dad. But, you know, they're set in their ways. So it wasn't a thing where I could change my parents' mindset towards money. But I made it an importance for me to make sure that my kids will have the right mindset when it comes to money. Can we go a little deeper? You were saying that you learned the gift of giving from your mother And you've been very generous in your giving toward your parents. But sometimes that can be tricky because there's family dynamics. I'm curious, what's your experience? And do you talk openly about money with your parents? Not really. See, my parents and my mom sees the blessings and the success that God has given me. So it's there for her to see. 
Like we don't talk about money, but I think my parents get it now, right? My dad, I'll never forget the story. When I told him I lost that $30,000, he said, boy, I told you, you should have put that money underneath the mattress, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's that mentality that my dad had, put it underneath the mattress. He didn't even say, put it in a savings account. He said, put it underneath the mattress. I don't talk to my parents about money because I feel like they see my success. So even though my dad didn't get it 20 something years ago, what I was trying to do, he gets it now. He might not even admit that he gets it now, but I know he gets it now. I've been able to be blessed and fortunate to take care of them and they're reaping the benefits from that. And going back to getting a little deeper about the giving part, I mean, I think for me, my mom instilled the giving in me as far as not having a closed fist, because I'm a big believer that a closed fist, God can't give you more if you keep your fist closed, right? So I'm a big giver to my church and tithing and just giving back to the community and giving back to people in need, right? So that's one of the other things that I've been blessed and fortunate is to get that giving spirit, right? One of the things in my company is that, you know, we are out here now developing and building communities to help people who look like me to become homeowners, right? So I'm excited about that, right? Because I've seen what real estate has done for me and I want to help other people to become homeowners because I want them to be able to accumulate generational wealth as well. That's fantastic. Will you share with us a little bit more about how you're doing that? Because that is really an important way to have money conversations even with your future clients. I'm curious how you're doing what you're doing. Right now, I am partnering with a local nonprofit who builds homes for affordable housing. And my company, Kingdom Development Partners, is partnering with them. So it's myself and another good friend of mine, Tyrone Harmon, with Harmon Construction. We are doing a joint venture with Habitat for Humanity. So we're doing that. We're building 96 homes in Charlotte, 96 townhomes. 33% of those homes will be market rate. So it's going to be a true mixed income community. 32 of those homes will be market rate and the other 62 homes will be affordable. So anywhere between a 50% AMI to 110% AMI. So Habitat will be purchasing 40 of those 96 homes from us. And then we're going to develop and construct the other 56 homes. And it's going to be an all for sale community. The goal is for it to be sustainable and for it to be a mixed income community. So I'm super excited about it, like super excited about it. So again, this is another way to build generational wealth. I'm also in the process now of formulating a nonprofit called Ascension. And Ascension and KDP will go out here in the Charlotte community and develop mixed income communities, which will be more like 60 to 70% market rate, 30 to 40% affordable. And what that will allow people to do is to get instant equity, right? So you might be like, how can you do that, James? So I just give you a quick example. If we build in a hundred unit community, 70% of those homes will be market rate. And let's just say those homes might go $650,000, but the affordable homes might be 300 to 350. Those individuals will automatically, when they get the keys in their hand with $300,000 worth of instant equity. Now we will be putting a 15 year deed restriction on those properties because we want to keep it a mixed income and we don't want them to turn around next week and take all the equity out. So it will be a 15-year tiered deed restriction. So after five years, they'll get 33% of the equity. Another five years, they get 66% of the equity. And after 15 years, they get all the equity. So super excited about that. Like I said, I've seen what real estate has done for me and my family. And I just want to help other people to achieve those same goals. James, this is fascinating and inspiring. And 
truly exciting. The idea of mixed income housing is really incredible. And I'm curious, beyond some of what you've already described so far, are there other aspects of putting people of different income levels together that you're thinking about and facilitating? The Ascension community is going to be a whole wraparound approach. One of my mentors, his name is Hugh McCall, and he is an amazing icon in Charlotte, North Carolina. He started Nations Bank, and then he bought Bank of America 19 years ago, and he helped shape Charlotte who it is today. And me and him are like this. He's a billionaire, and I'm nowhere close to it, right? But I learned so much from him. And you know one of the things that he told me? He said, James, I'm a member of every country club in Charlotte. Not one country club, every country club. And he said, guess what? I don't like going. He said, I can't learn nothing from them. He said, every time we get together, right, I get together with someone like you. He said, I learn from you. He said, I go to these country clubs. I can't learn anything from them, but I learn. So think about that, right? So it's a reason why I told you that. So if I have a doctor living in one of the central communities and I got a bus driver and a teacher living in one of the central communities and they become neighbors and they get to know each other, they both can learn from each other. Not only can they both learn, so that doctor can help that teacher to learn the knowledge of wealth creation. It's a lot of different things, not just financially, right, but a social environment that you can put together where people can learn from each other and live together. That's going to be amazing. And I'm so excited to be a part of it. I really appreciate you bringing up the learning component of this because it's so important. Obviously, a lot of things impacted you, but one book really set you in this new trajectory. How do you learn today? How are you growing and expanding your financial literacy today? I'm a sponge. I'm always talking to people. I'm like my mom. I kind of got that from my mom. I just don't meet a stranger, right? So I'm a sponge. I'm always learning. And it's so crazy because when you meet people in different social economic groups, I'm like, I never even knew about that, right? Like the things that I'm learning from my billion dollar mentors and friends that I now have started a hundred million dollar asset friends that I know, the things that you learn, it's like, wow, I didn't even know that existed, right? So it's like being a sponge, talking to people, reading, and just always wanting to know more and learn more. That's just kind of how I've been wired. And I don't think it will ever change. You're a sponge, James. I love it. And you've alluded to the answer to this question, but I want to ask it of you. And that is, how would you describe your relationship with money today in this moment? I respect it, but I don't let it. So it's interesting, right? I always said that I want to be the person who be able to accumulate wealth, but I want to give it back to the kingdom, but not for the sake of me losing time with my family. My two boys and my wife are my first ministry, right? So I don't let the money aspect and the drive that I have to accumulate wealth and accumulate wealth, but also to give back what I accumulate to trump the time that I want to spend with my family. So that's my first ministry. So my relationship with money is secondary to my family. It's important. It's up there but it's secondary to me spending quality time with my wife and my two boys. I always want to learn more. I want to learn how to make more so I can give more, but it just doesn't come in front of my family. This sounds like it is part of the fabric of your family as you look to develop your sons and help them become 
people who are competent with money in their own right. Absolutely. And one of the biggest challenges for me is, and I don't have the answer to this question, right? But I talk to my mentors all the time, right? Who have a lot of money, but I'm nervous about my kids not having the same drive as me. I think one of the things that motivated me was not having money. And my kids are not in that same situation. I grew up in an 800 square foot house and the little den, it wasn't even 80 square feet, right? was my room. And my kids, they're not in that same situation. And you always want your kids to have more than what you have, but I don't want them to feel like this is just the norm and not have that same grip that daddy has, right? So it's like trying to find that fine balance of giving them more, but not making them feel privileged and lazy, if that makes sense. And that's Mm -hmm. the challenge, the dad that I'm going through now is wanting my kids to have more. So if Jaden or Malachi ever comes to me and say, hey, dad, I have a great business idea. Would you be willing to invest in me? Absolutely. But let me see your business plan. Let me see your idea, right? Not just, here you go. No problem. So trying to think of those ways of making sure that I educate my kids. Like I give you another example. So my son comes to me, I think it was last Christmas. He said, I want this game in PC. I said, oh, really? Okay. How much is it? And it was like over $2,000, something like that. I was like, okay. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, you can have a game in PC, but you got to build the game in PC. Me and my wife could have took the easy way out and said, okay, son, we'll buy you a game in PC. But I was like, no, if you want a game in PC, you figure out how to build a game in PC. And guess what? He did it. And it impressed the heck out of me. (laughs) These are great lessons that you're giving and also sharing with us. It's the ultimate challenge of as you create opportunities for yourself, you want to make sure you have your kids as motivated. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, and I want to highlight from what you shared, James, that you're really taking the approach of what made you who you are today, right? It was persistence. It was working through obstacles Mm -hmm. and not being given things. Even though you have financial resources to give, it sounds like you're being very thoughtful in how you and your wife are raising your children to allow them to have some of those same lessons in a different context, but still those same lessons that helped you become who you are today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So trying to teach my kids the importance of credit, trying to teach my kids the importance of good assets. A house is an appreciating asset, a car is a depreciating asset, (laughs) right? So the little nuggets that I can try to instill in them now is what I'm trying to do for them. The importance of money, the value of money, I'll never forget. It was probably one of the happiest days of both my boys, but I never forget. We walked down to Bank of America and, you know, they started to get money from Nana, money from Papa, money from Dad, money from Mom, and it accumulates in this jar. And I was like, hey, look, you got to get a savings account. Oh, what's that? What's a checking account? And I never forget. My wife takes Malachi to Bank of America right down the street and he goes in and opens up his own savings account. And he was so excited about that. He was young. so He's 10 now. He probably did that at like six or seven. Love it. And now I'm just trying to teach him the importance of interest and compounding interest and what that can do for how money is grown from that. So now I'm just trying to teach him all of those things, but not just teach him, but trying to make it as tangible as possible. Giving him hands-on experience. Yes. There you go. Way to go, rich dad. <laughs> <laughs> James, this has been a really fun conversation. Will you tell us what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? I'm always having money conversations. 
I have a lot of mentors and I have a lot of mentees. And one of the things that I try to talk to my mentees about is the importance of everything we talked about, credit, wealth creation. That could be through the stock market, right? Like even though it tainted me 20 plus years ago, but it's still an amazing way to accumulate money. Starting your own business, becoming an entrepreneur. So it's all these different aspects and ways to do it. Always just sharing back. And it's not just the success stories, right? But I try to tell people the bumps that I've made too, right? So they can just learn about the bumps, right? Because it hasn't all been rosy for me in the last 23 years. So I feel like sharing with people the success and the pitfalls, right? Because you can learn from what I did wrong. I tell people too, hey, look, you might think this sounds crazy, but look for the right partner in marriage, right? Because that affects money too, if you get it wrong. So (laughs) just to be transparent with people, picking the right partner. No, everybody doesn't get it right, but that's going to be one of your biggest things. If you want to be an entrepreneur, make sure you get that right. So if you want to marry so-and-so, make sure you get that right. Don't go into that lightly because that can affect your money situation down the road. Right. It's a lot of different aspects that I try to instill into my mentees and people that I have day-to-day conversations with. Mm, James, so good. Would you share with our listeners where it's the best place for them to find you? I'm on LinkedIn. That would probably be the best place to find me. If somebody does want to reach out to me about something in real estate, and if I can be a blessing in your life, I'm happy to do it. Fantastic. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for joining us on the Money Tales podcast, James. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.